Welcome to episode 22 of Probably Polly, the podcast where we question everything, even our name. As always, I am your host, Michael Haig. I am your co-host, Sarah Lucas. And I am your co-host, Mandy Conant. On our last episode, we talked about the breaking news around Franklin Vo <laughs> and the survivor pod that wrote a call-in letter to him. So then a week later, they have released an updated message to condense news about what's happened since they released the original letter. We have had an incredible outpouring of interest in our take on that, and we're very grateful and humbled mm-hmm. to be able to try and help with this very difficult task. Yes, thank and so you. So we thought we'd take 15-20 minutes at the beginning of this episode to give you the updates as we have them and to post new links. I think most people are also on our Facebook, but our Facebook, we do post these articles as they came out. So I posted the Light and Shadow article the day that it came out. I posted this article the day that it came out. I try to post updates. I'm trying to get better about posting more polyamory news and articles as they hit if you haven't checked us out we are facebook.com backslash probably poly you can join there it'll tell you when stuff comes out i also will warn you when the podcast is going to be late if that matters to you (laughs) i have decided that i'm not staying up till two in the morning and killing my mental health to do this podcast probably um, wise. so that's why it's been late the last few times not the most recent one i did do I was that say you busted ass on the most behind. recent one so. yeah that one seemed important to get out on time and i got really close I'm, i mean i was done by midnight which was that's hard on me but it's not i'm a super morning person by the way everyone i know that sounds ridiculous to a lot of you oh midnight that's so hard, <laughs> it is hard. one i'm old two i'm a morning person and three i have a lot of neurodivergence around sleep schedules so if i get off i'm off for like days it's not i i I hear you michael like i I, midnight's late it's late all right i'm old midnight's late (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna do some of the highlights from this and especially as they relate to our discussion from last time one thing that is relevant and i will post the separate link that they added here in the description for any of the things i talk about But I'm also going to post the update letter. So if you want to go look at all of it in context, you can. They did post a screenshot of the Quora that we ended up linking to last time after much discussion. Uh, The one that he deleted? Yeah. And they seem to have come to the same conclusion that we eventually came to. They described it as follows. They said, we're going to hold off on any further discussions of these distortions and narrative switchbacks in the hope that Franklin's accountability team will be part of that process. So that's about what we said too, which is we don't want him to be controlling the narrative yeah. to keep it out there. And then that was on that was Mandy that fought for that one really hard, and she was right. Oh, Did you say okay. an accountability team? There's an accountability team that he's working with. What do you mean? After he deleted all of his original, his first two responses, he went back and posted a Facebook response that is linked in this article. I will also link it in our podcast notes in his public post where he says that he's intending to participate in this process. He is going to create a pod now. So. The way this accountability process works is a survivor pod, and then the person that is accused creates a pod. This is as I understand it, and I'm a perfect understanding of the system. Hmm. And then that group is supposed to see his words where he's trying to find people who he can trust to both be objective about the situation and to hold him accountable to his core principles throughout. But he's supposed to be able to create a pod of people that work with him. And then they actually also noted in this article that they have an, a go-between for the two pods. They used Reed Mihalko. 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 Reed mm-hmm. Mihalko. Who I do not know, but apparently is sort of a West Coast polyamory celebrity who has recently wrapped up his own accountability process and been reintegrated back into the community. Mm. 
in their letter for why they chose him, they say that they were hoping that his successful completion of an accountability process would make him a better choice to talk to Franklin about why you should want to do this, why it's helpful, that the Survivor Pod has your best interest in heart as well, the benefits of going through the process. That's very interesting. Um, I've, I've never heard of this kind of a it seems so formal, this process that they're going through. Am I just not in the know, or is this a newer thing? Uh, I've never heard of it, but I think it's great. Yeah, it's really cool. Well, there's a lot of literature out there about this. I had not read it before, and I'm only sort of scratching the surface now. It's something that I'm going to do. This is not something that I'm familiar with enough to say, other than, yes, there's a lot of detailed literature that people have been building this process. It's almost like an informal, formal court system. Well, I I feel like like it's a right formal mediation almost yeah okay yeah. there you go instead of him being put on trial right it's a mediation of this is what this party wants out of this and this is what this party needs out of this so to have both <coughs> pods working together through read i think is great i'm with michael i've not i've not read a lot about this i've never heard a lot about it but i think it's a great process yeah how would one learn more about this process what is it called michael do you know yeah is there a name for it how did you find out about it michael like accountability you know. potting accountability potting <laughs> podular accountability <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna be honest i'm not 100 percent sure but i'm part of the poly leadership network and i think that in one of the emails where they were discussing what was going on somebody noted the name of the process and who'd been working on it and that sort of thing i don't know that off the top of my head right now but i can look into finding sources for that i had the pleasure of meeting reed Mialko, and i really do I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's how you pronounce his name is Mialko. Mm-hmm. i had the pleasure of meeting him at rocky mountain poly living where we both presented a few years back really informative guy really knows his stuff great conversationalist he did go through a bit of a scandal at the beginning of last year where he was called out for some abuse years prior that he wasn't aware of and the way that he handled his accountability was very was very striking it was very responsible i think that he did great by the community in the way he handled it. So I'm glad mm. that the pods have asked him to participate in this sort of mediation. So some of the other high points, we said last time we weren't 100% sure if Eve Rickett was a named survivor. This says clearly she is the only currently named member of the survivors. Okay. So they do say, stress that those are anonymous for the time being, so they might change their mind. I don't know. Are the rest and of the members the of the pod other- anonymous or were they... I thought part of them were counselors or... Oh, no, no. So the other survivors. Oh, So okay. the, the pod is just a team that works with the survivors. Okay. And that's what we're talking about when we hear like counselor names and, and like the different names that we've been listing normally. So there's six, there six accusers. Members. Correct. Okay. Eve adds two other unnamed articles. The last time he linked anger management, which she shared in October, wrote in October. She also wrote to the next one in... July, and it was never about the nail in March. Uh, Those are all in 2018. So you can read two additional articles describing the situation that they are calling out 
is was like if you would like to and we'll link those in the comments of this podcast yeah we're gonna link everything in the comments of the podcast that we mention if we mention it so you can find it but we do wish you would read the first link which will be the one that's to the survivors pod press release because that's what they want you to read right so if you would start with reading that you'll find all these links anyway and i think it's a better way to organize them than choosing to skip that one and go right to the links but yeah if we mention a link we're going to try and link it because otherwise it's sort of incoherent there's also going to be an interview with eve that actually aired today but will be available to the public to watch on march 1st Hmm. um, which will be by the time by the time this is out they have created a public tracking document which there's a link for and i'll also share the link to organize relevant events across various platforms that will help people get a handle on the scale and behavior we're trying to address so they're going to keep adding elements to that as the story keeps developing. So as of right now, has he come out with a statement apologizing and being accountable in any way? Not that I know of. The only thing that I know that he has posted, the only thing that this letter references that he's posted, and the only thing that I see in the timeline document is the Facebook post. And the Facebook post is very carefully worded to be sort of a if I hurt people, then I'm sorry, as opposed to I did do anything. I don't see anything else by him. That's unfortunate. Language in his original response is something like, not something, this is exactly what it says. I look forward to seeing what I can learn to do better and how I can help heal any wounds I may have unknowingly contributed. He says the details of the concerns of those who wish me to respond have not been made available to me yet. I cannot begin to deal with this process until things have been stated or shared, but I understand that this lack of clarity is as frustrating to all of you as it is anxiety producing to me. Okay, so that's to his followers. And th- and that's fair. You can't sure. respond to an accusation that you don't have the details to. That particular part of that, him saying that he did not know, is one of the things they do address in this week's release, the Survivor Pod. They write, after deleting his Quora post, he wrote a public Facebook post in which he denies knowing what he is accused of, but states his intention to form an accountability team and they say that they included some information in their original post which is true we read the original post Mm -hmm. and it had a decent amount of what he was accused of which they did send him and say they offered additional specifics through reed his liaison that contacted him and that franklin did not request any additional details Ah. at the time of contact and they note that we encourage everyone to compare both the franklin characterizations um, of the call-in letter and the document itself and to recall what they wrote in their first post which was quote many people have tried many times over many years to explain to franklin the harm he has caused and offer him a chance to change with no effect. Yeah, I thought I remembered that, that the letter said that he had been kind of told many times by many people what he was doing wrong. Yeah, but even that wouldn't qualify as telling him this time, which is what he is saying, but they are saying, one, there was the original letter, which we've read the original letter and I feel like we have a general sense of what he's being accused of. And then two, they say they reached out with a liaison who gave him additional information and that during that process, he didn't ask for any more additional information. Right. So if he had been confused or had lacked enough details, that would have been the time to have asked as opposed to putting in a public post that I've been accused without being told what I'm accused of is their point around the narrative distortion and I gotta say I read this originally and then I read it again and it does feel kind of snarky Franklin's post? Franklin's post yeah Franklin's post does there's a lot of low-key aggression they've all been that way it went from pretty aggressive to a little less aggressive to a little less aggressive (laughs) but they're all still fairly aggressive well, but when we first characterized these three layers, we said the first two were sort of, the first one was a full form letter accusing other people. The second one was just a shorter version of the first one. Right. And then the third one was him going, oh, no, actually, I'll make an accountability pod, etc. But what I'm realizing is that given the way that the process works, convening 
an accountability pod doesn't even mean you'll accept that you did anything. Right. It just means you're going to participate in the process to check if you did something, which, of course, it is an accusation still, so that's possible that that's the case. But it's corroborated by six different people, right? It is, yeah. So some of the lines, like the intro is, recently received a call and letter less than 24 hours before a public statement went out. And I don't know why that just reads as sort of dismissive to me. How much is I'm sorry? Yeah, seriously. Like that would be the first thing that I would say is, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cause you pain. Tell me right. like how. I didn't feel like I was causing you pain. Tell me, tell me what you see, what you saw, what I did. Please explain this to me. And I'm sorry again. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes. But I mean, as far as I've seen, there's not been an admittance of guilt and, and an apology because he doesn't feel like maybe he's done anything wrong, which again, they're accusers. Maybe he hasn't, but I'd like to think that corroboration from six different partners. Sure. And that they're really, really vindictive or... It speaks a lot. It speaks a lot. Also, he has this line in the, near the end. At this moment, I'm preparing to leave for Toronto in a day and a half. This trip has been planned for a long time, and I cannot postpone it without harming the business interests of one of my ex-partners. And I'm not sure what being on a trip to Toronto has to do with being able to post on Facebook or Quora. <laughs> Given that this is all happening online, right. as far as this this part, the negotiation, the discussion, the what's happening before the pod convening thing is all happening in this sort of digital space. I'm not sure how his business trip to Toronto prevents him from addressing community concerns. To my knowledge, he actually lives in Canada. So Mm -hmm. it's not like it's an international trip. (laughs) It's frustrating because on the one hand, I feel like I don't want to just keep piling on sort of negative feedback, but there's not a lot of positive things coming out of that camp so far for me to latch on to. I'd really like to see some positive things. Mm -hmm. I would really like to see an apology for hurt he's caused whether he meant to or not whether he knew he did or not he doesn't get to decide that we've talked about that i would like to see an apology i think first and foremost an apology for sure it feels standoffish and even the language again around the kind of pot he wants to make one that's objective and holds him to his standards and values (laughs) none of that language to me sounds what's the word caring it doesn't sound kind like objective is the kind of language that traditionally men use to deflect female concerns claiming that women are overly emotional it doesn't feel sympathetic at all yeah there's a long history in sexism of men basically saying oh women are overly emotional you need good old objective (laughs) knowledge to see who actually got hurt and who didn't get hurt if i really did something wrong versus if they perceive that i did something wrong yeah and then the line about holding him to his own standards is a weird one because if the accusations appear to be true right so if there's (laughs) enough coherence through the stories then pardon me but his standards are shit (laughs) yeah exactly if it's right we would want to help him make newer and better standards better standards yeah no, again, none, like you said, none of it comes off like he's sympathetic to the situation or cares. Like, I mean, obviously mm-hmm. he's, he's frustrated. Which stinks because these are six previous nesting partners, right? Oh. Specifically? Were they all nesting? I don't 100% know because they're trying not to identify them either. So some of them may be more casual than that. Some of them, at least one of them, is a very long-term partner. So like, you would think that there would be a level of sympathy, a level of caring that he has for these people. But like I said, I would, I really, really just want, I would love to 
to see an apology. Yeah, that'd be great. I was just thinking of my experience with someone who who gaslighted me for a long time and there there still is a desire to destroy me. And so there's no sympathy for what has happened in my life. So I like if it's true, then his behavior makes sense. But I think that an apology would definitely make everyone feel better. And you know what? Actually, for us, that language of objective is actually going to be really helpful because it will put us perfectly into our actual topic for today, since that was just a small news update, which is how you know things. And objective knowledge is what that was Mm -hmm. about. This idea that you can have objective mm-hmm. knowledge. And then Mandy told me that I was wrong. <laughs> you're going to have to specify because I tell you you're wrong all the time. <laughs> okay. So, so yeah, she told me I was wrong and that it does not matter how you know things. Specifically, she asked it as a question. She said, why does it matter what counts as knowing things? What does that have to do with relationships? That caused me to redo the narrative. So we've actually done this show once already. <laughs> so we did the show and then Mandy was like, that's dumb. And you got that backwards. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, you're right, I do, I did. And so now we're reshooting it to put it the other way around because I got really excited about my own epistemological approach, which I think is very helpful and very good. It's not the end all be all of what it means for relationship knowledge. For those of you who don't know, that term I just threw out, epistemology, is just the really big fancy philosophy word for how we know things or the basis of knowledge. What Mandy reminded me is that I shouldn't be interested in how to prove my epistemological concerns in general, but specifically relationship epistemology. And what relationship epistemology should be based around is a common language of what counts as knowing. So let's talk about what that means. We do not live in a world that for any practical purposes, objective knowledge will ever exist. Correct. And I know that's going to said a lot of people, but if you're not talking about making an airplane fly, there's not objective knowledge. And even in a lot of science, for example, for some reason, if you observe, I think it's electrons, they behave differently. So you don't even know how electrons are behaving when you're not staring at them because observation changes that. Right. (laughs) So objective knowledge is a bizarre sort of illusion, especially if you think about most of the time you're talking in a relationship about knowledge, you're talking about language. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about how language is not objective anyway. So you can even know what I said, i.e. the words I used, but you can remember meaning something different than I meant to mean because we interpreted those words differently. So it's not going to help you because I see so many people in relationships getting hung up on who's right. Mm -hmm. You agreed that you would get the flowers for me and I would pick up the meal and that we'd do the date that way. And does it matter who was right? right? And of course, it sometimes can because you have to have a common language to speak in order to organize your lives around. So if every time you guys talk about making plans, you just don't understand each other at all, that's a real problem. But it's not the kind of problem that the other person was wrong. It's the kind of problem like you may not be relationship compatible. Right. Because how they know things is how they know things. And that's how they have to process their world. And you can't tell them that they need a different way to process their world. I never really thought of it that way. It's right. I never really thought of it though. So many people when they're dealing with relationships, they think that it's got to be fixable. And it's just not always fixable. Not at all. Not everybody's compatible. What counts for information for you is so different as what counts for information for them that you find trying to have that discussion impossible, unpleasant, unreasonable. Maybe you two are not compatible in a way that's going to be healthy for both of you. Right. Maybe your relationship needs to evolve into something else that's not what it is, that's not working. And I love the idea of information, of objective knowledge, of having a way to know things, which is why I wrote an entire show about how I personally know things. (laughs) And then realize that that wasn't what you all tune in for. (laughs) I'm going to do a short version of my explanation so that I can compare it to other ways of knowing and talk about how you can make things compatible and where they might not be compatible, but it's not going to be the core of the show anymore because that's just not as important. Because Michael's wrong. (laughs) 
<laughs> about this, anyway. <laughs> so, so the upshot is that if we're talking about why knowledge is valuable, knowledge is valuable because it helps us create future outcomes. So it helps you to reach states that you would like to reach through planning about the future. Mm -hmm. So you think something like, okay, I want my partner to be happy today. The last few days she's come home, she's been really stressed that she had to get dinner ready while the baby was asking for attention. So I'm going to go make food and hopefully that will help her be happy. Mm -hmm. Right. And the question is did you then get that outcome that you wanted that you were aiming at mm -hmm. let's say you got that wrong actually what i wanted you to do was take the kid so that i could make dinner because you took away my unwinding and now i immediately right. have a child and not having help so i would say you have knowledge there if you got the desired outcome the actions that you took caused that person to be happier and that was your goal then you have knowledge about that person's needs i would say you've gained knowledge even if you don't get the desired outcome no no not gained that you had oh, it okay that you already had knowledge oh, okay but the way you would demonstrate that you're not knowledge is correct is by accomplishing the outcome you were aimed at. I don't know if that's knowledge or guessing because like you said you weren't for sure that that was gonna make her happy you just thought oh let me try this and see if this makes her happy because I think that's what she needs. So I don't know that, that can, that's knowledge as it is just like a crapshoot. <laughs> that for me is a perfect response because my answer is sort of yes, but it's better odds than a pure crapshoot. I mean, it's a great guess. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's a, I don't even want to say an educated guess, but it's a, you know, it's a good solid guess. But it's still not, I don't think, knowledge. Well, right, because the traditional definition of knowledge is absolutely ironclad. I'm going to try not to make this super boring or long, but the short, short, short version is that traditionally the definition of knowledge is justified true belief. So it is absolutely true. You have good reasons to believe that it's true, and you believe that it's true yourself. Mm -hmm. That's a really hard bar, and in fact, I will promise you that literally no one has ever known anything by that definition. Right, it's fair. Because we can't check if things are even true. We could be no. living in the matrix. <laughs> Even if you think you have a justified true belief, you don't know that. And even if you think you have good justification, there's no way to check if your justification was good other than if it actually happened the way you thought that it would, yep. which was what I was saying counts as knowing. <laughs> In fact, one of the fascinating things about knowing things as a human is that if you actually check, 100% of everything we know is based on induction. And normally by laws of proofs, you can't prove a thing by itself because then it's a tautology. Uh -huh. I can't say, for example, six equals six because six is six. That doesn't tell you anything about what six is. Right. But all human knowledge is based based on induction and the proof that induction works is induction and there's no way outside of induction to prove that it works so if you guys don't know what induction is versus deduction deduction is when you reason from premises to a conclusion can you give an example deductive reasoning looks like this so if the premise is my parents only buy green cars mm-hmm today my parents bought a car, then I can deduce that the new car must be green. Okay. Induction, on the other hand, is inferring from past instances. So instead of having the rule that they only buy green cars, i.e. at some point my parents told me we only buy green cars, they've only ever bought green cars. Mm -hmm. I actually see that every car they've ever bought is green. And I tell my friends, yeah, uh, they're buying a car today, I'm sure it's going to be green. The last 
five cards they bought were green. That's induction. Okay. Because it's based on your past observances, whereas deduction is based on premises. A rule. Yeah, rules. Oh, okay. So one's based on history and one's based on a rule. Theoretically, you would want induction to be provable by deduction, like if-then statements. So if this, then this, if this, then this, therefore that. Okay. Because then it wouldn't be self-proving. But the only way that we know induction works is by testing it through trial and error, which is the definition of induction. Okay. (laughs) Right. Normally, that kind of knowledge is considered circular, so it's a paradox. You can never prove that induction works, but you can't even be a useful human being without induction. That's funny. That intellectually tickles me. Just how ironic that is. No, it's an intellectual mindfuck is what it is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a delightful one, though. I'm I'm okay with being (laughs) fucked this way. So, to go back to what Mandy said, Mandy said, well, that's just a guess. So, all induction is just a guess based on the number of instances that you have observed of this series of behaviors. And so, what my point is, is if all of the things you actually know are based on induction, and you always have limited knowledge for your inductions. here. So, I'm always talking, when I'm talking on this podcast, about interpersonal relationships. That's all I'm ever talking about. My Mm -hmm. scope is always limited to that. So, a lot of the rules that I say wouldn't apply to, like, general world stuff. Mm -hmm. That only applies to interpersonal relationship discussions. Because, obviously, you actually can test how many drops of a certain solution it takes to cause a color change in a chemical test on five cc's of water right. and get the same result every single time yeah. for a hundred times and have a near perfect inductive test that goes okay so this water has x amount of chlorine in it cool right but relationships are not science yes right and so what you're talking about in relationships instead is you're talking about intuition where intuition not the magical version but the studied actual phenomena where your brain at the subconscious level brings together information and observances you have from a bunch of interconnected but not obviously interconnected sources to give you a good guess about how things actually are right so if you've ever had a bad feeling about someone or a good feeling about someone but you didn't necessarily know why and then it played out over a long time that it was accurate sometimes your subconscious is actually referencing information that you don't have access to at a conscious level women are statistically much better at this than men Hmm. by the way what i was saying though is that my definition for knowledge instead of knowing things is just what i call predictive validity which is the percentage chance that your information will lead to the outcome you want Right. That's what we talked about before. Right. And so in the original example, if I just was like, my wife seems frustrated when she gets home. And I know some things. I know that people in general like to not be overwhelmed when they get home. I know that people who come home from a long day of work hungry tend to be frustrated by not having food. I know that most people enjoy having food made for them. I think it's still a pretty good guess that if I made dinner and had a nice dinner waiting, that that would be helpful. There are some people for whom it's not. Mandy pointed out for her that that is how she relaxes. So I would have taken that opportunity from her. But I think you could say that's better than 50 50 odds and at least for the one day to have helped like i feel like even on that one day you just be touched that like i made you dinner and like i tried to help and even if you were like but don't do that in the right future. no and and i definitely agree with that description of predictive validity just because like you said as a rule when someone comes home and they're kind of overwhelmed taking something off of their plate helps you know it was one of three things it was either the laundry the dinner or the baby you chose Mm. dinner and you had a one out of three shot you know (laughs) right and like you said given more information you would have had a more educated guess better predictive validity (laughs) 
<laughs> so right. yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. That tends to be the burden of proof that I try to use to determine what's going on in my world. So if someone wanted to tell me, oh, well, you don't know the first thing about whatever that thing is, making your partner happy, then I would go, okay, well, let me go see if I can predict if I can make my partner. You know, like, yeah. That's how I would check those sorts of things. Or like, you don't know how to cook. Well, I predict that if I make this meal, this group of people will like it. All right, let's go see if <laughs> this meal did make that number of people like it. And then sort of the level of success I had per person would help me determine whether or not I actually knew what my family likes to eat or whether or not I actually know how to cook. Or Which is how you gain knowledge. Mm-hmm. That's my test for when I'm looking through books and reading things. And that's an important test for me because as I'm, this ties into what I've said before about what I believe philosophy to be, which is I think that fundamentally humans make decisions with incomplete knowledge that still aims at the truth more often than not. And that moves us forward, even if it's imperfectly. And I think that philosophy specifically exists in spaces that do that. Mm -hmm. Because you can't have complete knowledge of what your partner needs or wants, you can only aim imperfectly at what you think they need or want, especially since, as Mandy pointed out, there are moods, there's what you ate yesterday, there's constant biochemic flux. Even if they're communicating to you what they need, they may not be completely accurate as to what they need. Sure, and we've talked about that before as well. You do have multiple sort of systems of cognition running at the same time. So the system that's upset might not even be the one that you have conscious access to. So you might even think you've nailed down what you want out of the next thing and then, nope, that wasn't what you wanted and you're not getting what your needs met and you're mad at this person. So how does that apply to this, right? So then when I'm reading something like Colbert or Sartre or something else and I'm going, does the model written here to me feel like a model of explanation if I applied it routinely would improve my interactions with other people mm-hmm. would in- increase my outcomes my predictive validity of how this outcome's going to go and then I try it and then if that actually does improve it then I, I absorb that into my model and go okay so this does seem to be something that gives me more control over my environment which is induction correct that's right that's induction so that's because okay. I'm just doing personal tests and the thing about induction is that from an individual level induction is a terribly unreliable tool but it's more reliable than doing nothing correct <laughs> that's the important takeaway that people need to be comfortable with and it's hard and I think that it flows really well with existentialism that says you are these conflicting things because you are an entity that wants to know things and you are an entity that will never know things not in the way that we want to know them I want to know for sure that when I get up in the morning and put four hours into doing something sweet for my partner they're going to be happy about Mm -hmm. it and I can I just can't Yeah, you can't know that that's going to work and you have to be at peace with that so this is the model that I use and it's a good starting place I think because I think it actually is how knowing things mostly works but that doesn't matter because what you need is you need a language that the two of you can speak together Mm -hmm. so you have to discuss for you what counts as knowing things and so for example in my relationship one of the things that we've learned is that we both have decided that for both of our mental health one of the things we do not know is who did what so if I come home and I'm pretty sure that the sink was empty when I left and it's full of dishes I do not assume that my partner did it and that I didn't do it Mm. because we have found enough times that we forgot and were wrong and had a really huge fight for no reason (laughs) to realize that it isn't really important who left dishes in the sink what's important is where do you go from here to get the house to the way that you want Mm -hmm. it to be at yeah even though in theory if we had video cameras there's an objective truth to who left the dishes in the sink but even a better example than that is who put an object somewhere Mm. my shoes went missing are they missing because i didn't put them away or are they missing because my partner did and we will never know the answer to that question when we find them on a shelf that no one ever puts them on neither of us will know who put them there. Your son did it. We will not remember. 
Uh, now and they, uh, now we have and now we have a kid to extra add to that complication right. for sure. And when I was a kid, my stuff would move all the time, and I could never find any of my stuff. And I thought that I was the worst at finding things. I thought I was just horribly bad at it. And then I moved out, and I lived on my own, and I didn't lose anything for like <laughs> three years. And then I went home after college, and stuff disappeared again. <laughs> Your mom, it's like son of a bitch. <laughs> no. It's my dad. Because my dad has really bad ADHD, and so he would move it and then forget that he ever moved it, and you'd ask about it, and he was like, I never saw that. And so you would think that you were crazy. That's funny. And in fact, that was the other thing. is my mom used to accuse me of moving her stuff, and then I left, and she called me and was like, stuff's still moving. I'm sorry. <laughs> that wasn't you. You know, and... <laughs> And so the thing that was, I had a huge complex about that. Like, I thought that I just couldn't remember where things were. I felt like I had no memory at all. It made me feel really crazy and doubt myself all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like, and then what I realized now that I live in a home with another ADHD person where some of that happens, but sometimes it's me. Like, I don't think it's mostly me, but it's me enough of the time that it's not worth being like, well, it's always you if we don't know. Right. It's not fair to say that. And because you really will never know who did it, and even if five out of six times it's you and one out of six times it's me, this time, right now, where I'm really pissed and sometimes i know it's me because when i eventually find it i'm like oh i did put this here (laughs) i've been walking around the house being like oh she lost my shit she lost my shit oh i lost my shit you You just kind of jogged my memory as to does it matter does it matter if we know it doesn't matter if we know what matters is where we go from here right it can matter sometimes if you know but i think the more times you can decide that it doesn't matter what you know the easier you'll have it right i agree with that i do think some things are gonna end up mattering it does matter if you internally know that your partner cares about you yes and the way that you know that is based on what you and your partner have decided counts as demonstrating care and making you feel cared about and loved, right. etc. So you're going to need that shared language to be able to have those conversations to say, here's what I actually need from the relationship. And there may be things like, we talked about this before, and especially when you start getting beyond just sexual or romantic partnership, but into life partnership, I need to know she's going to pay the bills. Right. And I need to know if the bills didn't get paid. So there are certain barriers to information that we have to have a way to go back and check on. Is there a, a system where I can go check and see if all the bills have been paid. You know, how do we know that mm-hmm. that happened? And some of those are easier because you can just go open up the, the bill that it get mm-hmm. paid. Right. We have a very relaxed relationship styles, I think, us on the show that talk about them at least. But I know there are people that need more structure, mm-hmm. want it in a way that they would not really be willing to not have it. And I'd like to be helpful to them as well, which is if you're the kind of person that has to be cleaned up and you always clean up after yourself and you then suddenly someone else isn't cleaning and they say, oh no, I did clean. And you say, oh no, I cleaned. And then how did the dishes magically appear in the sink? Right. I was the last one to do the dishes. No, I was the last one to do them. Mm-hmm. All right. Then maybe you need to find a way to settle that. But maybe that way isn't memory or video cameras, but it could be something like instead of having responsibilities, you have days and whoever's day it is, is in the end responsible. Mm-hmm. Every other day, it's my day, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I am in the end responsible for the dishes mm-hmm. being done. No matter who actually left them at the end of the day, if there's dishes before I go to bed, that's my problem right you have now an agreed upon way of knowing whose problem it is that isn't based on yelling at each other about who did what or who said what or who remembered what so you can have this really bizarre non-objective epistemology that's going to make you a healthier happier relationship because you're not constantly fighting about it because you agreed to it between the two of you and does in the end it just doesn't does not matter who left the mess it matters how you resolve right that that mess mm-hmm. was there like one wise man once told me it's not a war it's not a war against your partner it is a war against everything else you and your partner should be on the same side 
I don't know why that just like that touched me. Pulled on my little heartstrings. Yeah, you're always on a team together trying to work things out. Whenever you hear anyone using language about winning in a relationship, that's an immediate red yeah, flag. That is not a healthy relationship. You're like, I'm tired mm-hmm. of losing in this relationship. Like, what? What does that mean? What are you losing right. to? Like, you you win and you lose if together. If somebody's winning in a relationship, they both should be winning or it's not healthy. That's right. Yes. That's absolutely right. So if you're competing with your partner over things, oh, I'm the healthier of the two of us. Well, then no, you're probably the less healthy of the two. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if that's the competition that you're deciding to have. So that's what I want to say is I think having the right kind of epistemology will make your interaction with the world at large easier. But inside of a relationship, what you need to have is a kind of epistemology that works for both of you and that allows you to minimize blame. Because I am not a huge fan of even blame and interpersonal relationships. Mm-hmm. I just don't yes, think agreed. Them. Right. Because it creates the verses. It creates you versus me. Right, that's right. Because it sets you up to have these versus fights. Well, I said this. Well, no, you said that. Well, no, I said this. Okay, well, does it matter what I said? Let's talk about what we want right. going forward. Right. right now. The devil's advocate version of that is people will say, well, but then they'll, you know, like an hour later, they'll mischaracterize what I just said now. And <laughs> an hour later, they'll mischaracterize what I just said now. And an hour later, they'll mischaracterize what I just said now. And sometimes that's harmless and sometimes that's abuse. But in both cases, if the other person is telling you that your view of reality is wrong literally all the time you should leave that relationship yep right that is not healthy Mm -hmm. either go to a professional counselor psychiatrist kind of person with them psychiatrist psychologist therapy real therapy and reconcile the fact that the two of you cannot see reality the same way or if that can't be done leave because this is the beginning starting on that we circled back to the starting at the jumping off point right there's a talking about controlling narratives telling you that what you see isn't really what's real in Mm -hmm. the world control how other people see what you're saying that sort of taking on themselves the right to choose the one accurate epistemology that you're both going to use if it's not directly abusive has roughly equivalent outcomes for the other person Mm -hmm. because you'll feel invalidated you'll feel like you don't know so you know my experience with that when i was a kid feeling like i'm insane i've lost some reality my own memories can't be trusted i don't know what's going on and whenever i tell people i know what's going on they just laugh at me and are like haha silly child you don't know what's going on And I'm like, man, maybe I don't know Mm -hmm. what's going on. And it's really damaging. It's really harmful. In my experience, the absolute worst abuse that I have ever experienced is that is that abuse where I'm made to feel crazy. I'm made to to doubt myself, Mm -hmm. to doubt what I thought I knew, to doubt my reality. Right. And to me personally, that's the the absolute worst kind of abuse because it's so hard to come back from. And even afterwards, it sort of affects and confuses Mm -hmm. you because you're not sure what reality actually Yep. looks right. like it's hard to trust yourself after that because there was such a doubt placed in you that like i said it's so hard to come back from yeah and this is something that i think people think it sounds really far out there when i'm like relationship epistemology <laughs> interpersonal epistemology but i think is actually you said it's actually one of the most common things that you run into so like my super jealous ex would say well i talked to all of my friends at work and they said if you're doing x then you're cheating so the barrier for knowing things was do her friends agree yeah Right. That was her bar. (laughs) We had culture clash and she could not accept that we had different cultural backdrops. So when I would be like, well, I asked all my friends and they said the opposite and you asked all your friends and they Mm -hmm. said the opposite. So maybe we should just come up with what works for us and talk about what we need. Mm -hmm. She was like, well, but no, if all of my friends think that it's inappropriate to have female friends, then it is inappropriate to have female friends. Like that's just a fact. And if you won't accept that, then you're trying not to accept reality. And what I'm saying is that in interpersonal relationships, there is no objective reality. And 
if your sense of what qualifies as what has to qualify as knowing to you is so different from your partner's sense of what has to qualify as knowing that those two views literally have opposite answers to the same questions and can't be reconciled, that relationship's never going to work. No. In the end, I think that was what killed that relationship. It wasn't even the jealousy. The jealousy was a byproduct of the fact that we had different mm -hmm. worlds. <laughs> we lived in such completely different epistemic scenarios that I was doing normal things and those things were jealousy inducing mm -hmm. for her. That relationship ended because she had shitty friends. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe, <laughs> but it's one of those things where in that community, that would have been fine. Right. If she dated someone else from the same community, they would have had the same epistemic requirement and they would have had the same standard for what counted as cheating and they would have had the same, yeah, right, yeah. same burden for what your friends agree on yeah. and it would have worked out just fine. So it's not that she had shitty friends. She had shitty friends for me. Ah, uh, yes. And that's sort of the point there is that if you can find that common ground and that's, I don't know, I have not had a lot of trouble since developing this additional like the wider understanding of making those bridges. Now, knowing what I know in that context, I feel like I could have built a bridge to help her understand why our two different situations were so different and work on coming to an agreement between ourselves about what we felt counted as healthy and unhealthy behaviors. We felt counted as evidence for healthy and unhealthy behaviors and negotiated that. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm not. And I know some things are innegotiable. Some people you just can't negotiate with they're just their their own situatedness is just too different than yours right they just come from to such a different place that there's no way to work that difference out right it's like when two people have a different definition of cheating mm, yes that's never gonna work if you can't reconcile that different definition a lot of times when people can't reconcile what counts as cheating the reason that they can't do that is because they also have an epistemic difference how they think words are defined because i've never met two people who both think that cheating is defined by whatever you think cheating is mm, yeah. who haven't been able to work out what cheating will be for them what i see when i see that is i see someone saying no cheating is and then they have a definition. Mm -hmm. yeah, and that is always cheating. So like when people will say things to poly people, right? What's the common thing we hear? Well, even if everyone agrees, it's still cheating. Mm -hmm. Right. And you're going, what does that even mean? <laughs> And that's based on the idea that cheating is a definition in a book somewhere that's set by something. Maybe it's religion, maybe it's culture, maybe it's their friends, maybe it's their history, but that it's a non-mutable, not agreed upon thing. Right. That most people, most people take for granted that words have significant semantic content. Mm -hmm that is unalterable by you, the user. Yeah. yeah. The vast majority of people will fight you over words. I mean, even in the first five podcasts that we, you, Mandy and I did together, I would say something to Mandy would say, I don't think that's what that word means. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but I'm saying for, for me, for today, that's what that word's going to mean. She's like, yeah, but I still don't think that's what it means. <laughs> like, it doesn't mean anything. It's just sound. It's just made up. <laughs> that, and that's really common though. That's most people. And I don't mean that negatively because that's what we're always taught too. It's not like when you're a kid, someone goes, well, this word means this. Unless it doesn't, mm -hmm. someone's using it differently. Yeah. Right. Like my last monogamous relationship, cheating meant something very different to me than it did to him. Yeah. That essentially was what ended it because to him, cheating was physical act. And to me, cheating was so much more. And he felt that he could do all that right. much more as long as there wasn't physical act. Mm. Even after it was discussed, hey, that's cheating to me. That's what matters mm -hmm. is that's how it makes me feel. It didn't matter to him. 
because that wasn't cheating to him. Mm. So he did it repetitively and it wasn't cheating to him. And importantly, my guess is that he actually didn't think the sentence, that's not cheating to me. He thought the sentence, that's not what cheating means. I don't know that for sure, but that would be my guess. That he thought he had a handle on what cheating meant writ large. So for everybody. Right, right. Because the real word to him, cheating, was fucking someone else. The objective quality of cheating. Right. And so that that is an epistemic disagreement because it is a question right. about what it means to know something. So there's a linguistic disagreement there, but most linguistic disagreements are anchored in an epistemology that believes that words have significant semantic content. So if you don't know when people say like that's just semantics, that just means the definition of the word. Every word, every sentence you use has some mm-hmm. semantic and some pragmatic content. Semantic content is the material that's part of the definition of the word and pragmatic is the interpretation that you bring to it naturally given the, its context and situatedness in other words. Okay. So there's a question of how much of our language is pragmatics and how much is semantics. There is at least some semantic content and some pragmatic content, otherwise language would not work. But people tend to act like language is majorly of semantics when it looks like it's probably the other way around where if it's anything, it's mostly pragmatics with just a very yeah, small that makes of semantic content. So what happens is most people who are fighting about what words mean believe that words have an actual meaning. (laughs) And so whenever you see someone fighting about what a word means, one of the two of them has an epistemological position that words have meanings, god dang it, and they're always the same. We've talked about why that's a bad idea to have that. But again, if you can agree on that, that's still fine, because then it just means (laughs) people have a flawed dictionary. My friends and I, we got along just fine. What you need is you just need to agree what counts as knowing for you. In your relationship, what is? how do you guys decide who was right. As long as you have a system for that, then I think you're good to go. But I also think that the best systems yes, have the say. least number of anyone ever being right. You have to agree on what's going to count as right. And we think that what counts as right as is whatever helps you move forward together as a happy, healthy couple that isn't blaming each other or tearing each other down. Or on two different sides, yeah. Who isn't getting hung up on who is doing what. But also at the same time, who isn't that no one's taking advantage of you. Because a lot of that language is so simple because you say, oh, well, you shouldn't get hung up on who does the most. But then you meet people where one person is doing all of the work and you go, oh, that's abusive. That's not good. There's those situations in everything. What we're talking about as a whole is, for the most part, there are going to be situations that are against that grain every time. It's too far or it's too much or it's completely Mm -hmm. not enough where you're being taken advantage of. But this is why I was pulling back slightly on your note that it should be whatever helps you move forward. Because I think it should be that and that retains your core sense of identity and knowing about your world like i don't think that i could be in a relationship where someone was just like no the dictionary is what the dictionary is right anymore like i could i could have once upon a time but like now i'd be like that's just ridiculous <laughs> that's not how language works that's not how any of this works and i wouldn't i wouldn't be able to do that and i get in fights with people about that and i'm like we're not gonna be friends not because you're a bad person not because i'm a good person but because we're just gonna fight all of the time because my world needs to be mm-hmm. a world full of gray and I can't can't reconcile it with your view. And so I think it is also important to, to take stock and find an epistemology that works for both of you, but really works for both of you, not just nurtures the relationship, because we always talk about in polyamory not wanting to, to nurture relationships right. that hurt people. But nurture the individuals as well, yeah. you got to find the place where both of you are being true to your own sense of what counts as knowing, but also you can agree upon a middle ground for tests. 
So I think most of the time you have your epistemology, they have their epistemology, but you have to have an agreed upon middle ground to have discourse where you have fights. Right. And I think that's the, the most important part of that. But I like my epistemology. <laughs> and you guys do. If you can both agree to that, then bam, you solve your problem. You have the same epistemology now. So we are definitely out of time. So next week, very exciting. We talked about this a while back. This is going to be the episode with Sarah Neal. And we're going to talk about coming out, right? That's what we did? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah it was right. yeah it's so coming out we have actually mentioned this episode before but we hadn't released it yet so that was sort of confusing but it's coming out it's gonna it's be really great. good we're very excited there's positives there's negatives we explore a lot of it it's a great episode thanks so much for listening have a great week thanks for listening leave your comments bye. and you guys have a great week bye bye bye, bye.